How y'all doing? Good. Everybody have a good Labor Day weekend? So far, so good? You get bonus points for coming on Labor Day weekend. I don't know what you do with those points, but they're all yours. Uh, it is a joy to be here with y'all today. If you're visiting with us, uh, thank you so much for coming to worship with us. And if you haven't already done so, there's a part of your bulletin that you can fill out and place in the offering plate or hand back to me today. It's also got prayer requests and great things like that on it. Uh, today is a sermon that is about how to have peace in stressful times. And I'm just going to go ahead and assume that some of y'all have things that cause you stress. If you don't, uh, maybe we meet after this and you can explain to me how you do it. But uh, to live in this world, does that mean that we are going to have times in our life that are difficult, that are stressful? And you could probably bring to mind some things that cause you stress. Um, I'm always impressed with Paul uh, when he is writing from uh, a prison cell. And he writes to the church in Philippi and he says, Be glad in the Lord always. Again, I say, be glad. Let your gentleness show in your treatment of all people. The Lord is near. Then he says, don't be anxious about anything. Rather, bring up all of your requests to God in your prayers and petitions, along with giving thanks. Then, then the peace of God that exceeds all understanding will keep your hearts and minds safe in Christ Jesus. And so when we look at our faith and we look at what Christianity can accomplish in our lives, what are the promises that we find in our Bibles is that God can give us peace. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the fruits of the Spirit, and we said that peace is one of those gifts that God gives into our lives, that more than it being a matter of how do we deal with stress, how do we manage it, how do we get better at it, that one of the great things that we look at for God to deliver into our lives since we are children of God is that he'll give us peace, uh, and more than just something that we accomplish, but something supernatural, something spiritual that happens in our lives that we simply can't explain. And Paul names that. He says, you know, even though I'm here in prison, even though I'm in probably the worst circumstances you could probably think of, I mean, he's in a prison in ancient times. You know, it isn't a matter if he has a, a large screen TV or cable and all that. He's, he's saying, you know, things are, around me are pretty bad, but I've got a peace that passes all understanding. And so uh, when we look at that today, that's my goal, is that each of us, as we celebrate Labor Day or we look to the future, uh, that we learn more about this peace that God can grant into our lives. Because, like I said, there's a number of things that are going to cause us stress or want to cause us stress. And so how do we deal with that? So what are those things that uh, you think about when it comes to stress? You know, probably in the back of your mind, you've, you've got something that you brought with you to worship today, something that you want to talk to God about. You know, whether it is your finances or concerns about uh, what's going on in the world. Maybe you overdosed on news this morning and you're thinking, oh, it just can't get any worse. Uh, or maybe it is uh, something that's going on with your health or, or any number of things. And uh, as I began to look at that and ask those questions of, well, how do you begin to help people with that? I really dug into it. I mean, I've been looking at this sermon for months and thinking about this and and really, when you bottom line it, when you say, what causes people the most stress? What is it that causes them the greatest problems? What is it that causes them to lose sleep at night? It really is not a matter of money, or it's not a matter of where things are with your job. 
Uh, nine times out of ten, if we're really anxious, if we're really fearful, if we're really worried, it comes down to our relationships. Our relationships cause us the most stress. They're, of course, also what causes us the most joy, probably. But when it comes down to it, uh, when it comes to money, it's not so much that I need more of it. It's that I have relationships in my life where other people want it, right? Um, and when we talk about, you know, work, it's not so much that the work that I do, okay, I'm a Methodist pastor, we only work one day a week, right? But the, it's not so much the work that we do, it's, you know, that other people expect great things of it, right? Uh, and so if you kind of work your way through what causes you stress, I think you'll see that really what makes it difficult or what causes the most stress is, is the relationships in our life, right? And, um, you know, it, it's kind of comical, but I remember not too long ago, about three years ago, I was talking with a lady that was a financial secretary at the church, and I said, how are things going? Are you enjoying your job? She said, this church would be amazing if it didn't have people. <laughs> I said, it really wouldn't be, but I hear what you're saying. <laughs> what about you? Can you, you identify with that? that? You know, circumstances come and go. Problems arise, but, but really when it comes to what causes us the most grief or sorrow, but, but also the greatest joy are the relationships in our life. And so I want to just sketch for you a little bit about what the Bible has to say about relationships and uh, talk with you about what God envisions and what God has in mind for our lives. And I think the result is going to be that you'll have more peace about how things are going with the relationships in your life. Now, to do that, I picked a nuclear weapon to kill a fly, all right? The scripture I'm about to read for you is uh, got probably a solution for worst-case scenario when it comes to relationship difficulties, okay? There's a lot more gentle and peaceful words that are out there when it comes to relationships, but I kind of like to lift up to you the extreme because it makes the average and the normal a little bit more clear. And so when you get into 1 Corinthians 5, you're dealing with a really huge problem that's going on in the church. And um, once again, I, I picked this sermon months ago. If you get offended or you think I'm talking about you, realize I've only been here a short time. I don't know all the stuff that's going on with you. And uh, when we talk about uh, expelling people from the church, realize if that was the case for you before I got here, I need notice. You need to tell me these things, right? <laughs> I thought that was funny. I'm, it's all right. All right. <laughs> Oh. So this is 1 Corinthians chapter 5, um, verse 2. And you're proud of yourselves instead of being so upset that one of you who did this thing is expelled from your community. Though I'm absent physically, I'm present in the spirit, and I have already judged the man who did this as if I were present. When you meet together in the name of the Lord Jesus, I'll be present in spirit with power of our Lord Jesus. At that time, we need to hand this man over to Satan to destroy his human weakness so that his spirit might be saved on the day of the Lord. Now, the, like I said, this is a, a worst-case scenario. Uh, this is a situation where uh, they have gotten to a place where the person in this particular story is refusing to change their ways. Uh, he's involved in an inappropriate relationship, uh, one that we would identify as immoral. And um, rather than taking him aside or trying to correct him or anything like that, apparently this church in Corinth is, is celebrating them, celebrating him. 
And they're saying things like, well, perhaps he's really gotten himself in a pickle. He's really in a, a place where he shouldn't be, but we're Christians. We love him. We'll forgive him. We'll embrace him. Isn't that a great thing? And Paul says, no, that is not a good thing. In fact, you are endangering his future in a way that you can't even imagine. And it's harsh, and uh, you and I would say, well, that seems overly critical, but when you really begin to think about it, Paul is giving them wise advice. Rather than let this person get to the day of judgment where he stands before Christ and gives an account of his life and fails, Paul is saying, well, at least this way, perhaps he'll receive this wake-up call, change his ways, break off this relationship, and he can be once again back in the fellowship of his fellow believers. All right? And when we think about this particular case, Paul is saying, you know, it's not something that we are excited about. It's not something that we celebrate. When we talk about what would be best for somebody to leave the community uh, because it would be better for them or better for, for the community, he's saying it's not something that's really a, a joyful thing. Rather, it's sorrowful. It's heartbreaking. And in your own life, you probably know that to be true, that in those times in your family, or in your workplace, or somebody has to leave the fellowship or the community, it's heartbreaking. It's sorrowful. It brings you to tears. But Paul says, but maybe, hopefully, and faithfully, this will bring about better results than him just sticking around and ignoring what's going on in his life. So when we look at that, and you ask yourself the question, I bring it up front because that's where this particular verse happens, uh, is I'm saying this is a worst-case scenario. Obviously, if my child makes a small mistake at home, I'm not going to go to my wife and say, it's time for them to go, <laughs> right? Uh, or if in terms of a, a small incident at work or something like that, we're not going to gather together and say, okay, time to hand them over to Satan. It's worst-case scenario, right? And really, when it comes down to it, I always feel like it's just beyond my pay grade, like just beyond what I'm able to do. But like I said, those times are sometimes needed, and they're, they're always difficult but necessary. And you say, why? why? Why is it so important? Why do we have to do something that painful? I know some of y'all are thinking, big deal. But really, it is a heartbreaking thing when it happens. Why do we have to do that? Well, in verse 6, Paul goes on. He says, your bragging isn't good. Don't you know that a tiny grain of yeast makes a whole batch of dough rise? Clean out the old yeast so you can be a new batch of dough, given that you're supposed to be unleavened bread. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed, so let's celebrate the feast with unleavened bread of honesty and truth, not with the old yeast or the yeast of the evil wickedness. And they'll say, so Paul answers. He says, why does this person have to go? Why do we have to remove him from the community? And he goes on to say, uh, we worship a God. Let me just put it in my terms. We worship a God who is more than just loving and accepting. God is love, but God is holy. God is just. God is righteous. And if we desire to be in fellowship with God, that is something we have to get our heads and our hearts around to recognize and to say that more than just being loving and accepting, the flip side of that same coin is that God is also holy. And that if we want to spend eternity with God in heaven, God will be there. And God is holy. And he calls us to the same life. 
And Paul puts it in, in terms that we can get our heads around. He says, even the, the smallest bit of yeast into a batch of dough is going to have an effect upon it. You know, even the, the smallest sins in our lives, the, the ones that we kind of brush under the, the table or the ones that we ignore, even those have an effect and an impact on our life. Not only our life, but upon our family, our relationships, our friends. And so Paul gives an image, and he says, it's like the Passover, where in the time and the custom of Paul's time was that when Passover came along, you got rid of all the yeast in the household. Right? You probably don't do that. All right. But Paul is saying, do it quickly. Get rid of it. You know, take it seriously. Don't let it spread throughout the community and infect other people. So that's the, the why of what he has to do. And then he goes on to give just a little bit of, of wonderful advice that I always find important. He says, I wrote to you in my early letter not to associate with all the sexually immoral people, but I wasn't talking about the sexually immoral people in the outside the world by any means, or the greedy or the swindlers or people who worship false gods. Otherwise, you would have to leave the world entirely. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who calls themselves brother or sister who is sexually immoral. Greedy, someone who worships false gods, an abusive person, a drunk or a swindler, don't even eat with anyone like this, okay? And so Paul is saying, you know, don't take it lightly. Share in the fellowship, stay connected, be in relationship with people, but also recognize that we are called to live lives in a particular way. That the way to, to the kingdom is narrow and that we are required to live our lives in a way that is holy and pleasing to God. And he says, fellowship with those people will sometimes cause us to fall off track and give them the wrong idea. And then one of my favorite verses, he says, what do I care about judging outsiders? Isn't it your job to judge insiders? God will judge outsiders. Expel the evil one from among you. Okay. So, and what is Paul's point? He's saying, if they're not Christian, then why would we judge them as such? If they haven't claimed Christ, if they haven't been baptized, if they're not living in full communion with each other, then why would we judge them the same way that we would judge other people? And I know, I know, every person inside or out the church can quote Matthew's verse of, judge not, lest you be judged in the same way. Am I the only one that has atheist friends that can quote that verse quicker than anything? <laughs> right? But Paul points over it and says, you know, with sober judgment, with fear and trembling, we work out our salvation. We watch each other's souls, we care for each other, we pull each other aside and say, this is not good for you, it's not good for your family, and we do so in the most loving and gentle way we possibly can think of. Jesus said, before you go looking for the speck in your neighbor's eye, take care of the plank in your own eye, right? So when we're talking about guarding our souls, watching over what's going in and out on our lives, he's saying, you know, get the two by four out of your eye before you go fishing for the speck in other people's eyes. And isn't it great, you know, when you come up on somebody and they've got a small speck, a small sin in their life, and you say, hey, hey, I noticed you have that speck in your eye. They're like, hey, well, yeah, that's true. And you can go, hey, well, good news. I once removed a two by four from my own eye because of Christ. So what do we do with that last part? Well, um, I came across a great video that I want to share with you. It's by a lady named Juliet Funt, who is the daughter of Alan Funt. And uh, she talks about how do, you, how do you live a life where you're more focused upon 
the holiness of God in your life, upon what God is doing in your life, and not be so concerned about what's going on in people's lives that are not Christian or not part of the church. So here's the video, I hope. I was keynoting at a conference. I finished the keynote, and I was walking around in the breakouts, and I saw a title of a breakout that kind of caught my eye. It was called Rewiring the Control Freak. So I went in, I sat down, I listened to this real Tony Robbins sort of motivational speaker kind of guy, and he said, controlling people can become less controlling if they do one thing over and over and over. They have to watch other people do things poorly while they do nothing. <laughs> I just burr, I would, I, yeah, I would rather eat a raw frog, I just, meh. How do you, how do you, so, and, and so I tried, and I failed, and I tried, and I would just fail, 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 fail. So, now fast forward to Christmas at my mom's house. We are heavy into decorating, and yes, this is how Jewish we are. We stuff the goose, we deck the halls, fa la 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 oi, okay? So my mother and my brother are there. And they're trying to wrap presents using pinking shears, which are a scissors that have a zigzag edge, and they think it would be fun to wrap presents using pinking shears. Now, the shears are sealed, the brand new ones are sealed in that horrible omni-sealed plastic that no human being in the world can ever open. Now, I, as the ever-helpful member of the family, had a little thought, and the little thought just zipped through my head, and it was, why don't you get another scissors and cut the top off? And then, for some reason that I cannot explain to you, my seminar guy popped into my head and I thought, oh, oh, this is it, this is it, this is it. Okay, so I just took a seat and I watched. But do you know what? Nobody died. Nobody died. My unique brilliance sat dusty on a shelf and nobody died. And I have to tell you, my darling friends, this was so freeing. This became such an accelerant to my white space that it became my new hobby. I would wander through airports and supermarkets looking for stupid people doing things wrong so that I could not help them. I don't know. I don't know um, what it is that God has on your heart this day. I don't know if you've got one of those really extremely hard, difficult situations or relationships where you're going to have to speak truth and love and grace into someone else's life in a way that is transformative to them and to your relationship. Um, I, I don't know if it is the case that Perhaps uh, you need to have that same honest conversation with yourself this day and say, that thing I've been struggling with and I've been ignoring and that I've been saying wasn't a big deal, well, today I really believe God wants me to surrender that, to turn away from it and never go near it again. And maybe it is just the case that 
you need to spend more time with God and less focusing upon what other people are doing wrong so that you can love them and care for them and have the joy that Jesus wants in your life. But in all things, I would point you again back to Christ and what Paul said in Philippians. What did he say? He said, rejoice. Rejoice, I say it again, rejoice. And that you give all your praise and all of your honor and all that you are to him. That you recognize that there is no one more worthy. There is no one more valuable than him. That in all your relationships, he should be the one that you bring into those relationships. And you say, because of who Christ is, this is how I'm going to love you. This is how I'm going to care for you. This is the truth that I must speak to you. Because of what Christ is in my life and who he has caused me to be and called me to be. In all things, I, I pray that that is your focus and your goal and your, your hope of your day. That you look past the circumstances of your life, you look past the wisdom of this day, and you say, Christ is eternal. His promises will endure. The rest of the world will fade away, but his promises will endure. He is everlasting. The rest of this world is temporary. And that you look to him to be your hope and your shield and your, your peace. Later today, we're going to sing the song that we heard just a little while ago. And, and the words say, faithful you are, faithful forever you will be faithful.